Father, we do just thank you for today. We thank you for just another opportunity to come before you, God, with your with your love, with your fire in our hearts and in our bones, God. We thank you for the breath of life that you have given us, God. Not just physically, but spiritually, God, that you have awakened us, that you have revived us. And God, I just pray today that there would be a fresh awakening, God, that you would just pour out power and love and fire in this place like never before. God, I thank you for your words, that they would come forth with power, with authority, and that you would move in this place, that you would move in our hearts, that you would move in our midst. God, I do thank you for your healing power, which is still present, which is still active. And I pray right now for any place where there is sickness or any place where there is brokenness for anything that there is lack. I just speak to that place right now and I say, live in the name of Jesus, be restored in the name of Jesus, be full of life and be complete in Jesus name today. So God, I thank you for that reviving word today in this house, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, it's great to see you all today. Hopefully you've had a a good week. Uh, There's so much that we've been unpacking and learning about how the prophetic is actually linked into birthing revival, first in individuals and then through families as we've been studying and walking through the life of Elijah. Now, hopefully we've been able to take some of these same principles that we've been learning and apply them to our lives and families for today. As we said, speaking life and walking in obedience to the words that the Lord gives us to follow so that we can see heaven come down and released into the earth. This week, we're looking at the next event in the life of Elijah and looking at how we don't always get to automatically see everything work out perfectly as we're stepping out and doing what God has given us to do. As we said before, we're not serving God in a vacuum, okay? There's a very real enemy who is trying to oppose whatever it is that God's doing at every turn. So we should not be surprised when he tries to come in and steal, kill, and destroy what the Spirit is doing. But we need to see what does this look like? How does that play out in our lives? And what tools and strategies can we apply to ensure that we are equipped and that we are prepared in order to contend for revival. So the first thing we're going to unpack today is this. The enemy tries to kill revival. That's pretty simple. And we've talked about that before. The enemy is going to oppose what God is doing. So as I said, that shouldn't be a surprise as we're stepping out, as God is moving, as we're starting to see signs of miracles happen and words starting to come to pass, that the enemy won't be too far behind trying to stop it before it really can take off. God desires that all people be awakened and come to repentance and experience that true revival in him. But the enemy will stop at nothing to try to stop it, to try to delay it, to discourage us from pursuing and keep pressing forward because he knows what will happen when God's will starts to manifest in the earth. Now, sometimes the enemy will come after us directly. 
He'll try to attack our faith or maybe our hope or even finances or different things like that in order to get us to stop. Sometimes he will actually go after those that we love the most. He doesn't fight fair and he plays by his own rules of lawlessness and ruthlessness, often going after the most vulnerable and innocent. Now we know this intuitively, but how many present evils do we see today which involve this, child abuse, sexual abuse, kidnapping, human trafficking that often exploits vulnerable women and children, school shootings which target defenseless children, and abortion which murders the most innocent and the most vulnerable humans there are. We even see this in the media. There's a severe tilt to go after the youth culture, going after the hearts and minds of kids from the earliest ages to try to teach them, to try to raise them up and program them according to the world system of thought and action. But we must wake up ourselves and we cannot be ignorant of the devil's schemes. If we think we can just ignore the enemy and he'll just leave us alone, we're sadly mistaken. If we think we can just cruise through life and not be proactively trying to mold and shape the next generation, the enemy's already doing that. We must be the watchman on the wall over the next generation. They desperately need our prayers and covering. That's why at Freedom House, we take seriously to pour into and to pray over the next generation. Kids don't get a junior Holy Spirit, and we believe in equipping and mantling them at the earliest ages to walk in the power and the giftings and learn how to walk in the Spirit in their everyday life. I want to challenge us, if we haven't already been, to pray for our kids and for our neighbor's kids in this church and in your neighborhood that they would seek and find Jesus, that his will would be established in their lives, that the plans of the enemy would be thwarted, and that they would be able to walk in authority and power from an early age. We must pray and intercede for the future because lives really do hang in the balance. Now, I want you to hear me today. I, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to stir up any fear, but I do want us to have a sense of urgency on the importance of what is going on in this place. We have to be the kind of church that will pull on the mantle of prophetic intercession and be undaunted by the attacks of the enemy. They may come, but in Jesus' name, they will not prevail. They will not stand. And I pray that the enemy would fall into his own traps that he sets for this next generation. Now, we see in the life of Elijah, in this next phase, this next event that he goes through, the enemy doesn't go after the man of God. He doesn't even go after the widow directly. No, he directs his attack against the innocent child. Look with me at 1 Kings 17, verses 17 and 18. It happened after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became sick and his illness was so severe, there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what problem is there between you and me, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to mind and put my son to death? Now, notice how verse 17 begins. It happened 
after these things. So that means from what we've seen in these past two weeks, after the Lord has done a miracle through the prophet and keeping this family alive by keeping the oil and the flour from running out during a famine, the whole household being well-fed every day, after the supernatural miracle of provision had been flowing, then all of a sudden, sickness comes out of nowhere and steals the child's breath and his life. Now, God is miraculously intervening and sustaining life, and the enemy is now trying to come in to snuff it out. The Holy Spirit is described like the wind or the breath of God that comes and fills us with life and power, while the enemy is described as a thief and a murderer who's trying to steal and kill and destroy that very breath. We even discussed in some detail about how the, one of the specific ways the spirit of Python tries to operate is by squeezing the breath and the life out of its victim. This is one of the reasons why we must be proactive in our prayers and prophetically decreeing the word of the Lord over ourselves and our families. The enemy is already looking for a way, any way he can, to come in to try to wreak havoc. We can't knowingly open doors to him and let him come in and start decreeing death or destruction. We must be vigilant and careful to obey the Lord and keep the enemy out. But look, there's another side of this too. And I think sometimes we've been taught incorrect theology. (laughs) Even though And we looked at this when we talked about Python 2. Paul's actually going and doing what the Lord has given him to do. And then here comes Python to try to mess him up. Even though we might be obeying the Lord, even if we have everything shored up, not allowing the enemy any access, he might still try to illegally come and get into our lives somehow. And that scenario is not something that we have done or allowed. It's the nature of a thief who doesn't play by the rules and who is trespassing in our lives and needs to be dealt with swiftly. Meaning, if you know you haven't opened any doors and you are walking right with the Lord and the enemy comes and does what he does, do not take on any guilt or shame or condemnation when the enemy does what he does. If you have shut and locked all the doors, if you have shut and locked all the windows, if you have left the porch light on, if you have armed the alarm system of your house and somehow some thief comes in and still steals something, that is not the responsible homeowner's fault. Isn't it interesting the widow's response to her son dying after all the miracles God had already done was to ask the prophet if it was all just some dirty trick. And now God, after doing all this, was going to punish her for her sins and put her son to death. It's just like when the Hebrew children were miraculously provided for in the wilderness. They had just been broken out of slavery in Egypt and God was feeding them miracle bread from heaven and how quickly they forgot the goodness of God and started questioning God through the prophet Moses. Did God just bring us all the way out here just to kill us all off in the wilderness? How quickly we can forget the goodness of God. But God is good. God is not looking for an excuse to exercise punishment and judgment. He's actively looking for a legitimate reason to exercise mercy and grace. But that is one of the oldest tricks from the enemy 
one of the oldest lies back at the Garden of Eden to question God's motives and character when it's the devil that should be questioned and disbelieved. Look, I understand when times get tough and bad things happen, we try to naturally search out an answer. We try for, to look for a way for it to make sense in our natural mind. But the problem's never with God. The issue's never with God's motives. They're always for our good. The problem is never with God's character. God is inherently good and pure and virtuous. Yet that is what we are all faced with when we are presented with something that was stolen or something in our lives that is dying. Was it something that I had done? Was it all just some sick game and you just set me up to fail? But I want to encourage you with something today. Don't blame God for what the devil does. God is good all the time and he never changes. God doesn't stop being good just because something in our lives goes bad. God's nature doesn't change just because we really have to look at the circumstances in our lives and they might take a turn for the worst. This is where we have to put our faith in God and his promises. When we are tested and tried in the furnace of life, and when the enemy comes in like a flood, when the accuser comes and begins to lie and manipulate and get us to doubt God and what he said, that is when we must stand firm and resolute and not pay attention to the father of lies, but instead listen and hold fast to the spirit of truth. The enemy will stop at nothing to try to shut down the move of God. But as a prophetic people, as a prophetic church, we must stand up and push back against the lies and the darkness. We must gird ourselves up. We must stay mentally prepared and engage and continually speak the words of truth and life again and again as we push forward and contend for revival to come. The second thing we need to look at today are some strategies for contending for revival. I love that God doesn't leave us ill-equipped, but he makes sure that we know what we need to know and that we are armed with the weapons that we need to be armed with in order to be victorious in the certain battle. How do we know this? We need to know some of these truths before and during the fight so we can hold fast to the truth and not be swayed or shaken. Notice the first thing that Elijah did when he was presented with this situation, staring death in the face. We're going to pick up in verse 19. He said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. So the first strategy we can employ when we are faced with a difficult or terrible situation we don't understand is to place it in God's hands. Always, always, always run to God with your problems. The enemy again wants to separate us from God and from the one who actually has the heart and the capacity to actually do something about it. But put it in the arms of your loving heavenly father. That's a good word for any of us today. But sometimes 
We actually need to let another person help us carry our burdens to the Lord. In this case, the widow had to literally place her dead son into the arms of the prophet and let him take him off her hands. It was the prophet who carried the son. So for us today, we could say it's the prophetic that helps bring people to God so they can find some hope and some healing. Our prophetic intercession can help sustain and carry people directly to God to find the answers they need for every situation. We don't have all the answers, but we are intimately acquainted with the one he does. Notice where the prophet took the boy. He carried him up to the upper room. The prophetic takes us up higher. Often we can't fight our battles down on the ground. We've got to get up higher. We've got to take the high ground back. We have to be able to better see with our spiritual eyes what is going on. Also, we can't miss the connection between the upper room and the place of devoted prayer and worship to God. You see, when the elevation changes, as you start to go up higher, the atmosphere changes. The air is actually different up there. But we also know we have the ability through the Spirit to shift the atmospheres wherever we go. So sometimes we might need to actually employ both. We might need to actually go up higher and shift the atmosphere with our faith and passionate prayers to God at a higher level than we ever have before. As I said, sometimes this only comes when we place it in the arms of someone else to help us. Sometimes other people have gone before. They may have been through this situation before. And they might have pushed and pioneered farther than we have so far and might be better able to access higher realms in the spirit. It's not just okay to ask for help from those who are more mature and advanced. Sometimes that is actually what is necessary in order to see certain breakthroughs and answers that we've been looking for. Now, it may not be the case like in this in this story with Elijah, where it's a non-believer in another country and the designated prophet of God. It may just be someone who loves God and someone who's loved and served God just a little bit longer, who may have been through a similar situation. It might just be asking a pastor or a mentor for help in prayer covering to help break through something stubborn when it won't seem to budge. It could be going to someone with a higher rank or authority in the spirit to help move things out of the way. There's power in agreement, and there's also different levels of authority in the spirit. I love that it specifically highlights in scripture that Elijah took the boy to where he was living and laid him on his own bed. Now look, we all have a personal responsibility to have our own relationship with God, okay? But other people can be the beneficiary of the overflow of our relationship with God too. He met the boy where he was at, but then he immediately took him up to where he lived. In the prophetic, we meet people where they are at in order to help bring them up higher to breathe new life into them again. But we all need this from time to time. We all need to be encouraged and lifted up. We all need to be immersed in an environment that is fresh, that is pure, and that is saturated with the presence of Almighty God. And I love that Elijah laid the boy on his own bed. 
A bed is a place of rest. It's when we are at peace. We will always find our greatest levels of peace when we go higher with God in the secret place and put our trust and rest in his promises. Now notice here another key picking back up in verse 20. Elijah called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you brought further tragedy to this widow with whom I'm staying by causing her son to die? The first thing we need to see, call out to the Lord in times of trouble. Call on him and he will answer you. Acknowledge that he is God. But also look, Elijah asks God a very pointed question. Have you brought tragedy to the widow by causing her son to die? He asked God a question, but he does not question God's character or blame or accuse God. It's an honest question that even the prophet of God, the one who God spoke to directly, who heard clearly the voice of God and obeyed him as best as he could, asked. There's a big difference between asking God a question and questioning God. We can and should always run to God with our questions. God loves us and wants to answer us. He wants to share his wisdom with us as we see in the book of James. He wants to invite us into a relationship and share what he's doing. He's not withholding things to hide them from us, but to invite us into a closer walk and relationship with him. And he is the only place where we can ever truly find what we are searching for. Also notice that Elijah felt like he needed to ask this question. Even one of the mightiest prophets of God did not know all things. Even Elijah didn't know the widow's son was going to die or what was going on or what the Lord was even up to in the first place because the Lord had not revealed it to him. Interestingly, we see a very similar thing that happened with his protege, the prophet Elisha, when the Shunammite son died and she came to the man of God for help in 2 Kings 4.27. Notice what Elisha said to her in response. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone for her soul is in deep distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. For whatever reason, we are not told specifically, God had not revealed this bit of information to Elisha, just as he chose not to reveal this to Elijah. Neither Elijah nor Elisha knew beforehand that these sons would die or why it happened or what God was gonna do, if he was even gonna raise him up. I think many times we forget that these people in scripture are not some superheroes who were thought up for some comic book. These were real people who were anointed by the Holy Spirit to do supernatural things. They didn't know everything about everybody all the time. Only God is omniscient and they knew things when God chose to reveal to them what they needed to. But don't let not knowing all the details keep you from bringing everything to God. Don't let a lack of understanding keep you from diving into the deeper things and the hidden mysteries of God. 
It's God's glory to conceal a matter and it's ours to then go and search it out. Let it drive you further into his presence and encourage you to seek his face all the more. And the third key we need to get firmly established today is don't stop until it comes. When God gives you a word, you wrestle that word relentlessly in prayer until you see it come to pass. Elijah was tenacious when he prayed, as we'll see today and later on, picking back up in verse 21. Then he stretched himself out upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. It's a very interesting and unusual prophetic act that we see the prophet do here. But he actually laid down face to face over the boy and called on the Lord three times, asking for his life to come back. Now, look, we may look like an unusual church. We may not look like everyone else. We may not do the same things or do things the same way as other people would. And I'm not concerned with marketing or numbers as maybe other people have. Like in the natural, I have a marketing degree, okay? I understand like the psychology of how things work and getting people to do things. But we are building something in the spirit, okay? We are not building something in the natural. We're building something in the spirit. And we are a peculiar people. And we will do things as the Lord leads us to do. Freedom House is different from other churches because we are not looking to get the same results that other people may be looking for. We are not wanting to see anything but God move and do what only he can do. We do not despise the day of small beginnings because God is pouring out his glory and will continue as we continue to remain obedient to his following. He is not calling us to do normal common things. He is not calling us to step out and do things in the flesh, but to build and contend for revival in the spirit. And just like Elijah had to do some odd things from time to time, he had to step out and do things that didn't make any sense at all. We may have to step out and do some odd things. We may look different. We may sound different. There may not be as many of us as other places, and that's okay because God's establishing his house and his kingdom here for his glory to be seen. Now look, some of the people in ministries that we respect greatly and even so into have started places of worship that have gone on for several years without many people. But it's not about the size of the group of people. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit and the purity and the health of what is being birthed and established. And we know at the right time, as scripture says, if we don't get weary and and well-doing, we will reap a harvest. And supernatural things will begin to take off and grow because that's how we're doing things, supernaturally. So again, it may not make much sense to some people. It might look unusual. It might be different. And that's okay. We may have to lay on a few things in the spirit that look dead. We may have to do it multiple times before we see anything change. It may still look dead and we may have to do it again. And we might be like, really? I've done this before. But okay, God, you call me to do it again. I'll walk around Jericho another time. I trust in you and I will do it 
again. I'm so glad the Bible records this interaction with Elijah because we get to see what a good, fervent approach to prayer looks like. Don't just ask God one time and then if you don't see it happen immediately, think that God didn't hear you or that God doesn't want to move or that he isn't strong enough to do something about it. Look, he did this three times. Three is the number of completion, which means Elijah wasn't content to stop praying until it was finished, until his prayer mission was accomplished, until he had the answer that he needed according to God's will. We need to build up our prayer stamina and pray without ceasing. We need to keep on pressing and pushing until we see it come to pass. Again, if God declared it, it will happen. If God wills it, and the earth has partnered with heaven at the right time, we will see it come to pass. What if Elijah had only prayed once? What if he even prayed twice? No, three times until it was finished. We see this principle in the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. He was dead and buried in the tomb, but on the third day, when it was completed, when he fulfilled fully the word of the Lord, then he was raised to new life again. I love verses 22 and 23. It says, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the lower part of the house, gave him to his mother, and he said, see, your son is alive. I love that. Someone say he revived. That's right. Sometimes it's not just prophetic words, but prophetic actions that unlock the miraculous and restore what the enemy has been trying to steal. We must listen and obey what the Lord says, no matter what. It may very well be the key that unlocks that door that you've been praying and banging on to open and that will restore life back into those dead things where the enemies tried to stop the flow of God from moving. We must break the back of discouragement off of people in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there. God, I thank you that you are breaking the back of discouragement off of your people today. I just speak encouragement. I speak energy. I speak life over us right now that we will rise up, that we will not be weary, that we will not be tired, but we will push through. You have given us energy and stamina to contend to see the answers you have promised in Jesus' name. All is not lost. Dreams are never fully dead. One word from God can usher in the revival and make all things new. People in this generation need to see for themselves Christ in you, the hope of glory. They need to have some prophetic people who can walk so closely with the Lord that the overflow of our intimacy will manifest for them so we can say, see, your son is alive. God can resurrect anything. And breathe new life back into things that we thought were dead. This is a whole new level of revival. Elijah had never raised anyone from the dead before this. In fact, this is the first time in scripture where we see someone actually raised back to life. 
He went from not making it rain for years to actually multiplying flour and oil to then literally raising the dead to life. People are walking around today spiritually dead and they need to be raised to new life in Christ. There's a level of the miraculous that astounds people and causes them to fully believe in the Lord. And that is what happened in the life of God's prophet Elijah. And that is what God is wanting to raise up in this generation, prophetic warriors who will not stop until they see God's will done in the earth. Prophetic churches that will not be satisfied with nice songs and pleasant God bless yous, but who will fight and contend and war in the spirit for God's will to be done in supernatural ways that will not bow down or submit to the darkness, but will expose the darkness with the glorious light of Jesus Christ. God is raising up Elijah's who will prophesy and speak revival over people until we see them revived to new life again. God's already releasing revival in the earth today. God is already moving in mighty deeds of power. God is already restoring people's hearts and minds to align with his. He's positioning his people in places of influence and power to help restore and bring goodness and order and peace back into the earth. But we have to pick up and pull on the mantle of the prophetic in order to see revival come. It is already happening. And I love that. You can actually see there are pockets of revival popping up in different places of the world. Even here in America, different churches are seeing this happen already. And I love that. But we need to press in for more. We are always grateful for what God has done here. We are always satisfied with seeing The answers come and the healings come, but we will not be satisfied with feel-good nursery rhyme Bible stories when God has promised a life full of power, full of passion for the here and now, a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life for us to walk in. I don't want nice church. I want powerful church. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he doesn't change. He does not take back his gifts once he gives them out, and he has not taken back or remove his Holy Spirit, the greatest gift of all from his church. I don't care what the news says. I don't care how bad the devil tries to lie and make it seem all hope is not lost. God is not dead. He is alive. His church is alive and we are on the move. We are decreeing and declaring the word of the Lord of the living God. Whenever you speak words of life over someone and they go from discouragement to encouragement, you have just raised the dead. Whenever you step in a situation and act on the word of the Lord and things start to turn and shift back to the good, you have just raised the dead. People will begin to see it with their own eyes and recognize the power of God on display. Just like in 1 Kings 17, 24. I love this. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. 
When the church of Jesus Christ once again chooses to operate in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when the world will begin to take notice and say, now I know that you are the church of the living God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Nice words won't do it. Only spirit empowered prophetic words will. Religion won't raise the dead. It just will create more corpses. We need to continually ask and beg the spirit of God to move, to invade our lives, to be poured out on all flesh, to overflow. We need him to move in our lives and churches like never before so that true life can come, so that revival can be ushered in. Don't just ask for revival. Contend for revival. Fight for revival. Pray it and prophesy it into existence. Every great revival and move of God has been preceded by God's people crying out in prayer, in desperation for more of him. We need God now more than ever before, and we must commit to pray for him to move in radical power until we see it come. Now, I want to end today similar to how we have uh, these past couple weeks, I feel like it's a very uh, impartation type of series. So I want to pray for everyone. Uh, I'll just ask, as you feel led, just come down to the front. We like to pray over you. We like to commission you. I, I know that God is raising up some dead raisers in this place today to speak new life where we go. So I just encourage you to come and uh, we're going to pray for you as, as we close today.